You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Podcast network. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. It is great to be with you today. And we're talking about something that uh, I saw early on in the pandemic because of a radio show that I host called Now Hear This here in Indianapolis, where we talk to uh, schools and nonprofits. And what I saw from the early days was that school closings are really the source of a lot of misery through the pandemic because schools play an important role. And and we're going to talk a little bit about that, but also school choice. Just basically, how has the pandemic affected schooling? And joining me today is Satya Marar. He is a Washington, D.C.-based policy analyst and freelance writer who's writing on education policy, has appeared in The Hill, The Washington Examiner, The Tennessean, The South Florida Sun Sentinel, and The American Spectator. He's also a senior contributor and education policy fellow at Young Voices and holds a Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Laws with honors. Uh, You know, Satya, I'm not even going to – can you pronounce your university – Macquarie University. It's a Scottish. <laughs> okay, I am notorious for not being great with names, uh, <laughs> and so uh, I saw I got I got to that point in the bio, and I was like, "Well, I'm just gonna ask Satya." Now, the last time we spoke was about uh, it was like right before the pandemic hit, and I was like, "Hey, what's this coronavirus thing?" And we both agreed that it might not be that big of a deal, um, but it turned out to be a much bigger deal than I think anybody at that point, despite you know, Michael Ulsterholm and Fauci knew, uh, but schools have been hit. I mean, the closing of schools, can you talk about the impact on kids and families in closing school down? Yeah, sure. Uh, Look, it's been an absolute, you know, devastating disaster for a lot of families across the country. Um, Keep in mind that, you know, for an entire generation of children, that sense of normalcy that they had when they would go into school building, they'd have their friends there, they'd have their regular support networks. Um, you know, overnight almost, all of that was just gone. And you had schools, teachers, you know, everyone in the system, parents and the kids, of course, being woefully unprepared for this complete, you know, inversion of the way life was run and the way things were done. And uh, the result has been that, uh, you know, in some parts of the country, uh, the failure rates for children are, are have doubled or are up by like 80% at Fairfax, Virginia, for example. Now that's near where I live here in Washington, D.C. Um, but worse yet, you know, for many children, just even losing that sense of normalcy, being forced to sit there and stare at a screen for hours and hours at a time, uh, you know, going through headaches, going through exhaustion. Uh, despite the fact that, you know, some schools have adapted to this by having more flexible schedules and things like that. Uh, despite the fact that teachers have worked very hard to try and you know engage children who fall into the cracks, uh, you know rates of you know mental health uh, admittance, uh, you know mental health alerts, uh, students' suicides, all of these things are up in many parts of the country because this just isn't working. And for many parents, you know the solution has been all right. Well, my school won't reopen. Uh, what I might do is I might pull my kid out of school. I might homeschool my child. I might join other parents and have these you know microschooling pods. I might even just put them into a private school that is opening when the public school isn't. Um, But, you know, that option isn't really available to a lot of families. They don't have the resources. They don't have the money. They can't simply move. 
And to make matters even worse, you know, we might at least say, well, what can you do? You know, health issues around the area mean that schools can't reopen safely. They have to stay closed. Well, it turns out that in many parts of the country, uh, whether the school stays open or not depends on how powerful the local teachers union is, because these groups, these special interest groups, they lobby. Uh, many of them, for whatever reason, are lobbying to keep schools closed, but still want the schools to get the same funding. Uh, and that's not working out for many parents. So we really need to look into ways that we can empower the parents and the families and the kids first. Let's talk about teachers unions, because I never, ever, ever, ever want to hear another teachers union talk about uh, how they support the poor and the disadvantaged. Uh, you know, what I've seen through m my radio show is uh, schools are a hub for distribution, for food, for social services, for counseling, for, you know, we know that child abuse is up just because of an increase in the amount of deaths uh, at the hands of abuse because students have lost the ability to say to a counselor or a teacher, you know, help, I'm in trouble. Um, and to make matters worse, parents really have a hard time. You've seen a, a tremendous amount of women drop out of the workforce because someone has to stay home and care for the kids due to the lockdowns, to do the schools being closed. And it's really been difficult on these families in significant ways. So can, you know, why are schools, I guess you could look back at the spring semester last year and go, all right, nobody knew anything. It, it was, all right, we've got three more weeks of school. Let's close down. Right. Maybe the fall semester, you kind of go, all right, well, we don't have solid numbers yet, but once we get into 2021, both this early spring semester and the looking ahead to the fall, is there any reason to keep schools closed knowing the social impact on this? And why are some schools still talking about closing in the fall? Well, you know, um, the research is out now and, you know, we're getting a very clear picture that schools are not super spreader zones. The rate of spread within schools and among children is very low. Um, with that being said, you know, I'm open to the idea that in some places in some districts, for whatever reason, there might be such a high rate of spread in the community that it might be wise to uh, you know, keep the school closed part-time and so on. But like I said before, that really just isn't the case. In fact, you're seeing some very disturbing things happening. I'll give you two examples. Uh, I believe it was Arizona. Uh, you know, the, the union, I believe, was lobbying to keep the school closed and the school was closed. But guess what happened? Uh, they were actually using the school buildings to run a daycare facility, which is making the school some money. So they're happy to keep it open and get extra money on top. But, you know, they were not getting any money for, t for servicing the children because they get funded no matter what, whether they educate the kid remotely or whether they keep the school open. So that's one egregious example. The other one was the Los Angeles Teachers Union. And now they, they said, that, you know, the union there lobbied hard and they were basically holding the kids hostage by saying, we'll only reopen uh, if you listen to our demands on things that have nothing to do with education, like Medicare for all, uh, defund the police. I mean, you know, fair, fair enough if you're into that, right? If you think that's a good idea, but it's got nothing to do with the children. So, uh, you know, it, it really is terrible to see these sorts of pol political issues being brought in and children, uh, you know, being made the hostages for them. Yeah, and, and it shows, I mean, you wrote an article that I'll put in the show notes at thechalkboardreview.com. It's time to put power back in the hands of parents, but you link to an article that the virus spread in school children 
amongst school children, I should say, is actually very low, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it's very low. It's, it's certainly, you know, minuscule compared to what it is for adults, uh, for whatever reason. Um, and, uh, you know, there are ways to reopen and to keep schools safe. There's certainly a lot of private schools, you know, in parts of the country where public schools have refused to open, many private schools are still going ahead with extra precautions. Um, and, you know, they're doing this, of course, because unlike a public school, if the private school doesn't open its doors and serve kids or, you know, attract parents by making its remote learning so good that it can do that, it's going to lose money. It's going to, that business is going to go bankrupt. So, you know, they have that accountability, right? Um, and I think it's very telling that, you know, in, in the parts of the country where the local public school has said, look, we can't open, it's unsafe. If the private school or whatever other school in the area has opened, and they're fine, and there's no, you know, big issue with spread or anything. I mean, that just shows you, doesn't it, that it, it's been a lie. Yeah, I mean, I have a friend who teaches at a Christian school, and they've been open the entire time through the fall and spring semesters. And they've had cases, and they've had teachers and students stay home, but there hasn't been any, you know, thankfully, no fatalities or serious illness uh, as a result. I mean, it it they've navigated it just fine. Um, so let's talk about some of the, the folks who are opting to go to different modes of schooling. Let's talk about the school choice aspect, because my sister's a teacher. Uh, she is... I'm telling you, if they don't open the schools in the fall time, <laughs> my sister's going to be running in there like a rioter at the Capitol. I mean, she is so ready. My niece, <laughs> my poor niece is seven years old. And, and, and like you said at the beginning, she has lost all of her social circles, all of her activities. She's standing and sitting in front of a computer screen all day. She is so ready to go back to school. And my sister is too, uh, for her to go back. And yeah, they they're kind of thinking, all right, it's shaken their faith in the public school system a little bit. And I know so many people who've opted into different modes of schooling, like you mentioned, homeschooling, hybrid homeschooling, micro schools. This seems to have been a great way for people to start looking at different modes of education. What are some of those that people are opting to choose now? Sure. Uh, so. Well, first of all, there's homeschooling, which, you know, I'd like to stress there's some confusion. Some people have said, oh, I'm homeschooling my kid, when what they mean is they're still enrolled in the in the public school or whatever school they're in. It's just that they're doing remote learning and the parent is helping them with remote learning. Uh, homeschooling is, is, is where uh, it's outside the school system usually. Uh, usually parents will use some external resource. You know, there are homeschooling groups online, the place where you can obtain you know, the curriculum and grading papers and things like that. And, you know, it really is a situation where the parent or the homeschooling community that bands together is able to uh, have full control and autonomy over how they educate the child. And, uh, you know, when when this started to grow um, as a movement, you know, many people were concerned or worried and they would say things like, oh, how do we make sure that these kids are getting the best education and there's no oversight, blah, blah, blah. But when it turns out that on average, uh, homeschool kids tend to do better than public school kids in several metrics. Uh, and, on, and tend to do about the same on other metrics, uh, you know, like math and so on. Um, so, so really, you know, it, it's about what actually works for each child. Uh, and this, this idea that if you homeschool, then the kid is going to miss out on the social life, miss out on that normality. Not really true. Uh, parents are able to come together and form, you know, small communities where they help each other out. Uh, 
there might be a parent who takes the role of teacher one day a week and they work part-time the other four days and other parents take over on, on during other times. There's the micro-schooling option where, uh, you know, you find a teacher and the teacher themselves, you know, who's retired or who's doing this on the side, uh, can get all the money, uh, often get a higher salary than what they might get, you know, at a school. Uh, having a class of about 13 children where each parent just pays the teacher directly to administer the teaching. Um, so, you know, you have all these different options and then you have the pod system where you replicate the environment of a classroom by having that many kids in the same room, except it's more tight knit, you know, the families know each other. So you provide that social support element as well. Um, so it's really just a more flexible way of looking at education. And now what we're seeing in many states, um, including Georgia, Florida, is rather than simply talking about school choice in terms of, okay, let the dollars follow the child to a private school if they want or whatever school they want, uh, complete educational freedom, having these educational savings accounts, for example, which is like uh, you know a state audited bank account that can only be spent on education-related expenses like tuition fees, homeschooling expenses, uh, even special therapies that the child might need and so on. So it's really just about you know unlocking flexibility, unlocking innovation, and allowing the families to have maximum uh, you know, autonomy in terms of determining what's best for their child. Do we have any evidence in Georgia and Florida that the education savings accounts are are working, you know, that the money is being spent the way that it's supposed to be spent, that the kids are getting the education that they need? I mean, what evidence do we have that this is a good idea? Well, uh, we haven't yet seen that roll out um, to sort of judge the, the results on that scale. You know, this is all very new. It's happening very quickly. Uh, we have previously had ESAs uh, in other states, and usually they're in very limited circumstances due to political realities. So, for example, uh, I believe it was Utah, if I'm not mistaken, where they have uh, uh, actually might have been Illinois uh, or actually it was Indiana. Indiana. That's right. Sorry. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, sometimes you've had what is basically like a, a scholarship for uh, uh, for uh, kids with special needs to have what is similar to an ESA and where that money can be spent on many different things. Um, and these programs, wherever they're run, tend to be very popular. The, pa the parents report high rates of satisfaction. Um, and there's no reason why the same principle can't apply more broadly. You know, uh, when we talk about school choice, normally we're talking about a situation where the current environment, you know, the cookie, the cookie cutter approach to schooling is not working for a child. And we often have a school that is able to provide some programs they weren't getting at their previous school. They'll be able to get certain therapies and services. Um, and there's no reason why that principle can't apply equally to having an ESA account. Well, uh, final thoughts on this, because it, it seems I've, I've just never seen more conversation around school choice. And I know that we're fresh off the heels of school choice week here in the United States. Um, you know, I, here in Indiana, we've had Mitch Daniels and Tony Bennett and the Friedman Foundation's located here. So Indiana has a very strong uh, system of school choice, strong charter school sector here in Indianapolis. And I've just seen it transform the educational system here in Indianapolis in a tremendous way. Uh, and I, I, I'm a huge advocate for school choice. So I would just say, you know, looking forward, what are a couple things that people ought to focus for and leave us with uh, some hope for the future? Well, um, there's actually been more movement on school choice, on things like ESAs, which were inconceivable in many states until recently, you know, due to political realities. 
you know, it's almost like a silver lining to this horrible pandemic that's caused so much grief is that it really has gotten parents thinking and parents more open to this idea that, you know what, maybe there are some, uh, you know, maybe this is an idea that we can be more open to. Maybe we don't necessarily need the one size fits all approach to schooling our children. So, you know, the fact that we're seeing all these movements at the political level is a sign, good sign of things to come. And, uh, you know, they're already talking about innovations uh, around things like virtual reality, for example. Imagine if a kid could, uh, you know, take a tour of the Egyptian pyramids, like as if they're actually there, you know, with the headset and so on, instead of just having a teacher lay it out for them. Uh, the teacher could actually guide them and be a, you know, a guide inside the pyramids, that sort of thing. So technology, you know, technological innovation is also speeding up rapidly amidst this pandemic, you know, sort of creating an imperative for us to really get there to where we would have gotten, you know, 20 years down the track or so. So, you know, what I say is, look, just watch this space. Uh, we're going to see a revolution in the next few years. We're going to see a more flexible, adaptive model of schooling. And to be honest with you, I look, I'm, I'm quite uh, hopeful for the public schools too. You know, there have been some great success stories of some that have done remote learning better than others have. Uh, there have been some amazing teachers who've gone out of their way to assist the children. Uh, you know, you mentioned before the social services and things like that that you normally get from the school. Some teachers have uh, driven out there and handed out meals themselves to parents who could not pick them up from the school. Um, so, look, you know, there there is a there, there is a lot of green light on the hill, uh, green lights on the hill in terms of school choice, in terms of the way education in this country is going to go. So let's look forward and let's, you know, hope for the best. Absolutely. And I just want to echo that. I mean, when we talk about teachers unions, oftentimes teachers feel attacked and that's not the case. Teachers are, are, are great public servants who are dedicated to their kids. Unions are just looking out for them, but often uh, kind of push public policy in a direction that hurts both the parents and the teachers and the students. I mean, it, I, I I just always feel bad beating up on teachers unions, even though I think that they're completely uh, harmful to the system, Satya. But I don't want teachers to walk away from this discussion thinking that uh, that school people who believe in school choice are anti-teacher. What's interesting is uh, you know they've done studies on what the effects are on teachers' salaries of having more school choice in a particular country or in a particular state. And they find that it actually increases teachers' wages. Mm. Um, so, so really, uh, you know, there's a lot that teachers also have, you know, can appreciate from this. Uh, and when we say teachers' unions, referring to specific entities, we're not referring to teachers as an amorphous blob. Uh, there's some amazing teachers out there, and uh, you know, they should deserve all the recognition in the world for that. Satya Marar of Young Voices, thank you so much for joining me. You're listening to The Chris Spangle Show. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for listening to The Chris Spangle Show. We'll see you tomorrow. Sorry, uh, hello? Recording stopped.